when we say mind body connection what is the what is the difference between the mind and the body and what is the similarity between the mind and the body okay that's a, that's an interesting question um so um let's start off with uh perception as per ancient indian texts of what the mind and the body is and i'll just share with you a few inputs on how they're similar now and and yet different right um so body as we know um is is the physical you know it's made up of matter it's uh, it's it's got cells atoms so on so forth and it's a structure which is um which is what the physical body is uh mind is also a part of the body but it's more non physical in nature so it's difficult to quantify um you know it's difficult to sense um and yet there so that's that's the the primary difference between mind and body is uh the body is you know one one can feel it etc and perceive it but the mind is is beyond uh, the five senses right um so uh, the way i look at the mind or the way yoga looks at mind and body is the the mind essentially if so okay so also the mind a lot of people think the mind is the brain so i am not talking about the brain here the brain is also is is physical so it's not non physical in nature and the brain is a part of the body in fact uh, you could look at the brain as a tool um to help you accomplish a variety of goals in your life um so that's kind of the nature of that that's what the mind has kind of been designed for us to help you achieve various goals uh help you compute stuff um etc etc so but in in modern day we see that the 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 there is the mind and the body is like the tool for it it's kind of become the opposite right it's um it's the mind kind of dictates the body what needs to be done so in a manner of speaking the body is kind of like a tool for the mind which it shouldn't be and we come back to that a little later so getting back to the mind that the, the, the yogic mind or as per ancient indian philosophy the the, the non physical mind now this non physical mind is something which is extremely difficult to articulate you know it's it's uh it's because it's beyond the five senses and yet um a, a body is is um inanimate without its its presence so um there when there is the you know the, the the spirit or the mind when it leaves the body the body becomes inanimate it doesn't have any sort of life in it um so uh so you see so it's, it's very different from it's uh, the, the first difference is that it's it's not physical in nature so although there's been i think a bunch of experiments done in the west where once the uh the spirit or the soul leaves the body the 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 body actually loses i think if i'm not mistaken about 800 grams of weight so upon the death of a person you know there's something or or let's say uh the 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 energy which drives the body it it leaves the body and then physically the body over a period of you know 
um, a, a few hours, it's 800 grams or a kilo lighter. So that's kind of mind boggling to just, uh, you know, the scientists have tried to quantify, quantify it because that's what scientists like to do, right? Create data, data packets and quantify stuff, right? So, uh, but, but so you can't sense it. You can't see it leave the body. You, you, can, you, you, can't, you don't have, you don't, you don't have, um, any, any sort of tools which can quantify this actually happening. So it's a bit of a gray area. So the, the predominant, the, the primary difference between the mind and the body is the, you know, the, the physical and the non-physical aspect of it. And now let's look at the, the similarities, right? So that was your other question. How, what are the similarities between the mind and the body? So the body, you see, is because of its atomic nature, because it's, it's matter, it's got you know, it's, and, and it's uh, um, linearity, it's got like a life cycle, it's, it's like, a, like any other machinery, or uh, any other article, which, you know, it's just, uh, it comes into this world, or, or uh, the, the, the physical aspect comes into this world at point A, and at point B, it sort of starts decomposing. And that's when we pronounce clinically dead. And, and that's kind of the this, the cycle of the matter, right? So the human body maybe decomposes, becomes a tree or is consumed by an animal and is a part of an animal. So there is cyclicality in that, but in that particular body, it's, it's pretty linear, right? Um, so now this energy that we're talking about, which is a, a part of our, you know, which is a part of, of, of everything, you know, it, when, when that energy um, sort of, you know, it, it, go, it, it leaves this vessel or, or, or goes out of this body, right? Um, uh, that's when sort of, um, yeah, it's, it's, that's, that's the end of life as we know it, right? Um, so uh, if, this, if this energy has always been, and if this energy sort of, um, you know, it, just, it keeps transforming um, from times beginningless. Um, you know, it's, you know, and, and it's energy, energy is energy, energy is pure. Um, uh, energy, because it's energy, it, it has all the, I mean, all the wisdom and the information that has been around um, for, for billions of years, because that's energy, right? It can't be created, it can't be destroyed. It's been there, so it's got a lot of information in it already. Um, and yet, it kind of, I, I believe, it chooses to, um, you know, take this form, um, and um, in taking this form, uh, it, it continues with its journey. Um, so that's kind of, the, I think the. In, in a sense, a view of the mind-body relationship, um, yeah. But if you've got like, if you've got a specific question around it, I'll be happy to try and answer that, uh, Sachin. Yes. Okay. So thank you for those good introductory comments. So uh, here's the here's the other other question uh, re related to this. Uh, the other question is that we are attempting to bring about balance between mind and body. There, uh, I mean, if you ask a common person, do you think mind and body should be balanced? Most people will say yes. 
but most people are in a state of imbalance between the two, right? So can you shed light from your perspective, what is meant by balance between body and mind? This is one question. And the second question is, uh, what is the role of yoga or yoga, the different forms of yoga uh, into establishing that balance? Sure, sure. So when people, like when someone asks me, uh, you know, how do I balance life or how do I balance mind and body? Usually what they're trying to ask is that, you know, the, the, the how do you balance the thoughts and the actions? So the mind is kind of the thoughts and the body is kind of the actions. So how do you kind of calibrate, synchronize, or, or even perhaps balance it in a way, right? Um, because of the nature of the mind or the brain. Let's just use the word brain over here because I think that's the, the, the usual understanding when they say mind-body, it's it's not the, the energy or the spirit or the soul. It's more to do with the, the physical brain, right? The thoughts that occur in the physical brain. And, and how does one sort of manage those thoughts? Um, how does one uh, analyze those thoughts? How does one contemplate on the thoughts to create uh, awareness of, of why those thoughts are arising so one can do take necessary steps to to manage them better you know the idea not is to is, is not to control the thoughts because the whole what the, the word control has got a connotation of trying to do something which is which is not natural right so maybe it, it's it's more about managing uh the, the thoughts or the energy so with like you know and we all know this and this is rather cliched but you know this whole how we've all been conditioned over the years, over 40, 50 years in, in this current life and how, how the people in the society are conditioned. I mean, we are conditioned to, especially in the modern society, we are conditioned to think a lot. Um, and when we think, and, and to, to an extent that it's kind of become obsessive with thinking, it's, it's turned into overthinking and this overthinking is turned into this sort of modern, uh, I don't know, psychological challenge, which a lot of people are facing. So it started off with thinking, then it led to overthinking, and then it just become obsessive where you have a thought and you just cling on to that thought and you keep obsessing, keep thinking about it. You keep thinking about the uncertain future or you keep thinking about a negative uh, or a positive um, experience in your life. And you keep thinking about it, keep getting attached to it, which turns unhealthy, right? So when you have thoughts like that, it's very difficult to bring about any sort of balance, right? So we're talking about the mind and the body. That's really far-fetched when you, you, you're like got these obsessive thoughts and you're clinging on to thoughts, right? So when people talk about how do you create the balance, right, between the mind and the body, I, th I think it's a four or five step process. Um, the, first, the, the first step needs to really be, to, that one needs to do is just sit down and, slow down i mean the first step really is just to slow down because the mind is going at you know a thousand or 500 thoughts a minute and that's just it's just too much of that electrical activity happening physical activity happening within the brain that's just too much right so to get clarity or balance the first step that you need to do is to reduce that the firing you know of the neurons in the brain so you need to just sit down and that's when yoga comes in, something like yoga comes in, right? So you, you sit down, you close your eyes, you focus on your breath, you go inwards. 
And as you can, as, as you as as you as you breathe, as you breathe in nice and slow and deep and easy, and this is these are scientifically proven facts. I'm not just talking from a perspective of yoga. It slows down the neural firing. It slows down the number, reduces the number of thoughts in the brain. When the number of thoughts in the brain are reduced, right? So it's like it's it's like a, a, a let's take an example of a car engine which is running at a very, very high RPM. You know, it's like really revving, you're revving the car engine close to the red line, huh? you, uh, the car engine for a long time. So what happens is the car engine gets fatigued and ultimately the performance of the car begins to reduce or the car breaks down. And it's, it's the brain similar where you keep doing 500 or a thousand thoughts a minute, <laughs> you know, the brain also gets fatigued and then you have issues where it, so uh, an equivalent for a breakdown would be you could have a, you know a psychological issue you could have a physiological issue you can have a back pain or a neck ache or you know uh, a cold or something like that right so so getting back to reducing the number of thoughts so the step the first step is to reduce the number of thoughts where you consciously try and adopt a lifestyle where your thoughts where you manage your thoughts where you're aware of your thoughts much better you get into habits where you get into the ha habit of relaxing. You know, in, in modern times, we look at relaxation as, um, you know, as as a luxury. It's like, wow, you know, look at this guy. He he gets to take uh, twenty days off every three months to go and travel, or you know, whatever, go on a pilgrimage, whatever you have you right. We look at it as luxury, but where there's so much of neural firing, I I feel it's a necessity that you need to get into. Uh, into that relaxed frame of mind so that you can actually analyze and evaluate what really is happening up here, right? So step number one is slow down, right? Step number two, once you've slowed down, then you really, once you've slowed down, right, the fog begins to lift and you can actually very objectively watch what's happening up here in your mind. So you watch very, very closely what's happening. What are the kind of thoughts that are recurring, you know, what, what are the sort of thoughts that there's a pattern for a particular sort of thought, you know, for example, one might be obsessed about, uh, um, you know, social validation. One might be obsessed about a, a, a nice, healthy fat bank balance, or one might be, you know, so you, so, so you need to figure out what is that thought, which is kind of obsessive in nature. One might be, uh, obsessed about uh, someone they've lost in the family. One might be obsessed about a, a spoilt or a broken relationship, you know, so on and so forth. So you need to try and figure out what it is. So step number one, relax. Step number two, evaluate or analyze and see what are the kind of thoughts that are coming into the mind? What are the kind of thoughts that are taking up like a lot of mind space, you know, in, in, its, in its truest sense? What is the kind of nature of thought that's occupying my mind. Once you've analyzed and you're aware of the, 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 the sort of obsessive thoughts that you keep, that keep coming up, keep coming up, keep coming up. And you say, okay, so I'm really obsessed about driving a, a sports car as an example, right? So and that's the sort of thought that keeps coming or there's, there's someone's love that I wanted in my life and I couldn't have. And that still is agonizing me. And it's a part of that cycle, right? So that's really step number two, relax, analyze or create awareness about the, the nature of these obsessive thoughts. And then after you've, you're aware, 
then you need to come up with some sort of a mechanism. What is it that I can do to this, this patterns, these patterns that are in my mind, if I want to change and bring about balance in my life, what is it that Nimish or Sachin can do to kind of change those patterns? So if you change those patterns, then you create space for newer patterns, right? So what is it that, that one can do? And what one can do, there can be like a whole bunch of things that we can do, right? Sachin, I mean, you could wake up early in the morning and chant, go to the temple and, and pray, uh, go, to, go to Sunday church, play a musical instrument. You know, these are certain techniques with which one, you know, does create some new sort of neural maps, which also when the new neural maps are being created, slowly they also kind of, what they do is they corrode the, the earlier, the neural memories that were, were, were there uh, within you. Um, so, so yoga actually is one of the most ancient techniques or, or you have, for example, going to church or, um, uh, uh, or chanting or, or praying, you know, these are some, some really ancient techniques that the, our forefathers really valued back in the day. And, and they truly believed that they could manage uh, troubles. So, for example, if you look at it, when you have some sort of a trouble, they say, listen, you know, my, my mom would tell me, say, say, Nimish, just go to the temple for some time and just pray to the Almighty and everything's going to be okay. You know, I didn't really get it. <laughs> you know, when I was a kid, I was like, why is my mother forcing me to go to the temple to pray? But when I, when I think about it today, many, many years later, it makes sense to me today because I, 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 I understand now that when I would go to the temple and close my eyes and bow my head down and, and try and connect with the Almighty, right? With, uh, with whatever temple I was in, I would, the God of that temple, when I would speak to that God, what it would do is it would relax me immediately. The first thing that I would do, it will make me feel safe. It, will, it, it would relax me. It, it, would, you know, it would put me in some sort of a comfort zone where I felt much more comfortable. So, so that healing was almost, I don't know if the, it was healing, but the comfort it gave me was instantaneous. Two minutes, boom, I was, you know, I was not worried about my examination results anymore. Or I, even if I was at that point, it was, it was very, very far away from me when I, when I was in that temple with my head bowed down and I was praying to the almighty, it was really, really far from me. So this is also an example of how uh, one could, uh, you know, use these ancient techniques like yoga or going to the church or the temple or the masjid, you know, or the Gurdwara or any of these religious establishments, because it's, it's proven that people when, you know, when, when they, when, when they look outwards and they pray, you know, what it does, it, it gives them this, this gigantic amount of hope, right? Even when you do yoga, it's like, you don't see any results. I'll be honest with you. You don't see any results on day one and day two. But what it does is it gives you this, this hope that, hey, listen, Sachin or Nimish, you know, you start, you do this every day. And there's, you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. You know, you say, you're, you're thinking that, hey, listen, I'm going to end up, you know, being much more flexible and stronger. And if I do pranayama, my lungs are going to be resilient to any sort of virus out there and so on. So that hope in itself is, you know, it's, it's one of the best medicines ever, right? Not just for a human, but for, in fact, all of mankind.
Anyway, so, so step number one, quick refresher, quick reminder. Step number one is relax. Step number two is create awareness of the pattern or a particular emotion. Analyze it, right? You, you analyze it. You try and come up with a structure, some sort of a structure to help uh, deconstruct it. So you can now create um, more mindful patterns, right? Uh, patterns which you feel are going to help you become a better version of yourself. Um, and then once you've come up with an approach, a path that you want to tread on, and I've given you examples of a few parts. I'm not just here promoting yoga, right? It, it could be any path. Um, you then, all you need to do is try and be focused and create a habit out of it. And for that, you need to uh, remind yourself about the importance of being a better version of you every day. And so that's it. essentially, you need to, it's, it's actually the, it's, it's the biggest, the toughest thing in, in, this, in this four or five step uh, cycle that I've told you, the toughest thing is to create that motivation that, you know, for example, I want to wake up every day at 3.30 in the morning and start chanting from 3.30 to 5.30. But I can't do it because many mornings I'm not motivated to do it. I'm being honest with you, right? So I just press that snooze button on my phone and, you know, I put that duvet on my head for a bit longer. And so it doesn't happen. So so you have to come up with, again, with some sort of a mechanism which drives you to be uh, a better version. And, and that's where um, the role of a teacher or um, a mentor, etc. And it's, it's really understated in modern society to have a mentor or a guru or a teacher, right, who you can go to. But that's the role of that person that teacher who shows you the way and keeps you motivated because not all of us are intrinsically motivated and can wake up at 3.30 and, you know, or it's, it's a problem with a, a lot of us, Sachin. So, so that's where uh, I would, so, so you could, you know, you, uh, you could definitely garden and it could help you connect with your emotions and yourself. You could, you know, spend time in your garden, de-weeding it or, act, you know, putting new dahlias in your garden, etc. And that might be therapeutic as well. But it will not be to the extent where you have some sort of a flow from a teacher and a regimen, uh, almost kind of like a, uh, you know, a, a list of do's and don'ts that you need to follow in your life to, um, to live... Uh, kind of a, a, a more balanced um, life, right? And so, so once you've sorted out that mind, you know, so we're talking about the mind and the body balance, right? So the, mo the moment you sort the mind out, then everything begins to fall into place. You know, then the balance happens and then you can walk a tightrope if you like, you know, that's the amount of balance you could have. Um, so that's what, in my opinion, that's sort of a, a very... Um, uh, oversimplified, uh, oversimplified this, you know, of how you can achieve balance, but these are probably these four or five steps that you could take to have a more balanced life. Okay, that's a very great answer. Uh, here's my next question. Um, the, there is a lot of discussion in our angel wing program regarding expansion and contraction of energy. So uh, Dr. Berman talks about that. She's a psychologist. Uh, Chetna talks about it also. Can you shed light on what you think that means, expansion of energy, contraction of energy, and then connect that with uh, the different yogic uh, 
practices and, and, the, and the yogic tradition itself. Um, so uh, you can go with that in, in any which way you want. I mean, I'm not sure how you want to answer that, but that's, uh, but just give you, if you can shed light on that, please. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I'll try and answer that. Uh, I really haven't given this much thought, but I'll try and answer it to my best ability, right, Sachin? I mean, if you look at the universe, forget, you know, human beings, or if you just look at the universe, the universe is, it expands and contracts, right? Um, so at, at some point when the Big Bang, let's, let's talk Western science, when the Big Bang happened, it, everything had contracted, right? It was in a, it was like really, really close, right? And then boom, it just went and it just started to expand again. And now the scientists are studying that there are these super gigantic black holes uh, all over the universe. And what these black holes do essentially is they gobble up like all the, uh, the heavenly bodies around it. And not only this, do they gobble up asteroids and stuff, they have the power. Some of these black holes, by the way, they're like uh, millions, million times larger than our sun. Huh? So we're talking like, uh, you know, sort of scale that is unfathomable. So you've got, and we you know the density of a black hole, like one teaspoon of the black hole itself weighs about 10,000 tons. So that's the sort of gravity and density we're talking about. We take like a teaspoon of the of, of Earth, right? The soil that we're on, it weighs 10 grams. But you take a teaspoon of the black hole, it's like 10 tons. It's like, it's so much greater than the, 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 the gravity that we any of us can even imagine. So and these things are, are like a million times bigger than the sun. So what these guys do is they gobble up like, uh, you know, asteroids and planets and their moons, even solar systems and small galaxies. I mean, that's the, the size. So if you look at it, right, these black holes, they, they keep kind of gobbling up these other, I'm sorry, this is not a very yogic explanation. So um, I, I really haven't, so I'm, I'm kind of, just without a filter, I'm just speaking right now, right? So I really haven't given it that much of thought. So um, so what happens is uh, these, these gigantic black holes, they keep getting larger and larger and they gobble up these uh, all these other, you know, celestial bodies around them and keep becoming larger and larger. And what's going to eventually happen, and if this does continue, these black holes become more and, and larger and larger and larger, they keep gobbling stuff again. And then this, this the opposite of the Big Bang is going to happen again. It's going to go whack again into a like a really tight-knit ball right it's really dense ball and then who knows maybe the black and then there's another big bang i, I don't know i mean I, I the science is is doesn't have many answers yet right we're still seeking a lot of answers but it's anyone's guess so it is expanded there's black holes and it contracts again and then when it contracts there's so much of energy there's again another explosion and maybe that's the nature of the universe maybe that's the nature of the universe I know for sure that's the nature of a human being and that's the nature of our breath. I, that's something I know for sure, right? That uh, we, we were like born uh, when, when, when you and me and all of us were conceived, it was just like one cell, right? And then we expanded into these magnificent humans, right? Where this, the trillions of cells in the body, right? So, so that certainly is, uh, is, is uh, from that point, we really expanded. And again, when we pronounce critically dead, all this matter is going to go away again, recontract. I know for a fact that to keep, for, for me to keep thinking and me to keep talking to you, I need to breathe in and out. I mean, that's expansion and contraction, isn't it? It's like, 
right? This is an expansion. <sighs> this is a contraction, right? So, I mean, that's my point of view about ex expansion and contraction. I mean, that's energy. It expands and contracts in everything. And what yoga really does is it really with a, a microscope, and there wasn't actually, there was no microscope thousands of years back, but with a microscope of the mind, they studied these things. They understood the, these, these, uh, the, the universe. And they came up with, um, you know, this way of life where one basically um, makes the most of uh, the, these expansions and contractions that are happening within us to make choices, right? To, um, to from right from what, you know, how you can treat the other people around you to how you treat yourself and your body, what you put into your body, how do you sort of inculcate healthy thoughts? How do you uh, how do you sort of these these the, the patterns you were talking about earlier, uh, or these 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 neural patterns which are negative and, and which, which are obsessive in nature? How does one sort of rid of them to be able to live a, a healthier life? So I don't know. If this is kind of the kind of answer that you're looking for, Sachin. But I mean, that's all I I can say. This is my perspective of expansion and contraction and and how yoga fits into it. I mean, because yoga understands it, because the whole, the, the whole idea, uh, yoga is, is all about, well, mostly about how you can deal, deal with your thoughts or actually get to a level where you actually have very little thoughts, or very few thoughts, right? And the way to that, to that, if that's your goal, the way to that is through the expansion and the contraction of your breath. So how are you mindful about this, ex this continuous expansion and contraction? Or not just your lungs, but but eventually the energy in your body, you know, because yoga talk does talk about the, the the prana energy and how this energy flows in and out and from the top of your from the top of your crown to the base of your spine, even to your toenails, how this energy moves up and down the body. I mean, that's uh, that's what and that's that's what yoga helps us do. Okay. Yes, that's that's a great answer. That's really really excellent. So here's my here's the next question. The whole notion of um, ba balance that we talk about that that we want balance in life, but the difference there's a difference between balance and being stagnated, right? So stagnation is like where a person is just not wanting to do anything and they're they're not their energies are not moving very well. As opposed to a state of balance, balance, balance is, is uh, where there is movement of energy and thought and emotion and, and bodily movements and everything, but it's all within a synchronous state. How would you describe the difference between a stagnated state versus a balanced state? Hmm. So you said that as a stagnated state is some we're assuming in, in when we use the word stagnate, we're assuming that it's someone who's got lower energy and a low vibration, right? Right. Versus right. So so you could say that someone who is just not very active at all, it, it's it, it's stuck somewhere. It's just a feeling of just not wanting to do much, not wanting to uh, have any uh, higher goals. Uh, it's, it's just a person is just kind of just going through the motions, but it's just it's stuck in the day-to-day -day activity and there's no much that uh, there's not much drive to do anything new. There's not much joy in life. Person feels stuck. There's a lot of people like that. 
right? So yeah. how would you distinguish between such a state of stagnation or and dullness and boredom versus a balanced state? Hmm. hmm. Okay. I mean, so when we talk about stagnation, two things come to my mind. One is a person who is kind of in a is stuck in life, right? In a in a rut and doesn't uh, know which way to move, which direction to go. The other, per another, another person comes to my mind when I use the word stagnation. And that is a, um, and, and I, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but I'm a, a, an avid uh, mountaineer who's been exploring the Himalayas for many, many years. And I see people in villages, in Himalayan villages, right? People with uh, barely cl any cloth to cover their back, or they don't know, they're not certain about their next meal. You know, and yet they possess this this incredible, uh, you know, uh, sense of uh, I don't know if it's joy is the right word, but they're they're kind of content in the moment just by being where they are. Um, they're somehow magically, and, and and this kind of confuses me at times because somehow magically these guys are. Uh, you know, they, they don't, I mean, they don't have some of the basic needs. I mean, we've studied in psychology about, you know, different levels of needs of a human being, etc. But these are guys who don't have the basic needs we have, that have been catered to. And yet, Sachin, they've got the most glorious smiles on their faces and a sparkle in their eyes. And it's it's similar to, uh, actually, I compared to many monks that I've met. Huh? So these are guys. So, these, so it's just, I think it's about... So, so the reason I talk about these these wonderful mountain people that I've met, right, is uh, it's just it's it's about mindset, right? So it's about how um, someone with with you know with a lot of resources around them uh, finds themselves stagnant, and some someone with close to well zero or well, not not zero, but minimal resources or or lack of even basic resources they find themselves in this state of being so um so so what i've done is we i've taken a look at that word stagnant and in stagnant we're, we're looking at two groups of people right two two data packets where where there will be certain people who would call both these data packets stagnant in nature but the question is, so to answer your question, I'm, this is the approach I'm going to use, right? So the, so the question really is that this guy who's got all the resources, everything available for him, finds himself demotivated, low on energy. And on the other hand, you've got this, 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 <laughs> this Mount Himalayan villager who's got nothing. And he, he's like always smiling. He's willing to help. He's compassionate. He's loving. And one of them actually saved my life, huh, by the way. I wouldn't have been here when I was stuck in a snow blizzard in 2011. One of these guys, they actually saved my life because I had actually given up hope. I had, I was quite unwell, etc. And so one of these guys actually saved my life and the amount of compassion and love that they have is just incredible. So now the question is, what is it that is different between the... You know the guy with all the resources and who's got who's you know who's 
when he was 16, his parents gave him a um, a, a $15,000 car and he cribbed. He said, hey, listen, why did he give me a Prius on my 16th birthday? I wanted like a Camaro, you know, whatever, right? And you have this other guy who's got, who doesn't know where he's going to get the next meal. Um, so before, I mean, I, I go further, uh, I would also like to understand your point of view. What is it, Sachin, you think in these two data packets of, of, of seemingly stagnant people, what is it that you feel is different? So this is a this is something that is uh, a, a very interesting area of exploration. It is uh, it is possible to be dynamically balanced, right? So, for example, when you are performing your yogic postures and the body movements, there is a dynamism in that, but that dynamism is actually creating balance and, and it's rebalancing the flow of energy, but it is, it is not stagnating the individual or keeping the individual stuck in one particular rut. So, so balance has a dynamic aspect to it from the yogic point of view. So even when we're doing exercises or doing particularly yoga, the yogic sadhana that is done, that is a very, uh, uh, active process, but that active process is not creating uh, a wastage of energy. It is the best use of energy, and and it is a it is a dynamic progression forward. So it, this is these are some some of my thoughts. Can you ex if you feel that that makes any sense? Can you explain that in your own way to the general public? Because I'm going to cut my comments out of here. So yeah. No, no, okay, so before I, I explain that, I want to understand, Sachin, what, what do you feel the second category, right, who's the, the Himalayan guy, who's got, he doesn't even have a proper jacket, he's got holes, and he's got his toes sticking out of his shoes in the snow all over. How come he's figured out that balance? That's my question. Right, so, so that, that is where the internal world has opened up further, because when one goes into the inner world, then there is so much wonder and uh, so much new type of experience. It's an internal journey. So as one, just as one takes an external journey to, ex to explore the outside reality, there is an internal reality that can also be explored. And in, and in that exploration, one begins to find more and more satisfaction because of the silence of the mind. The mind becomes more and more silent, and it's not dullness. Again, there's that difference between dullness and silence. There can be dullness. That's very. There's a low energy there. Silence has actually great power within it. So that great power. That, that's why the Veda mantras. You know, they say Om Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. Every mantra ends with Shanti. What is that Shanti? That is the integrated silence. So in that silence, there is so much joy that is bubbling from within that the need for external stimuli, external running in the world diminishes significantly. And it diminishes even to the point where the, 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 the um, uh, focus in the body also diminishes. Uh, um, um, it actually diminishes even to the point where one is just keeping the body alive as just as a, as a, as a mechanism. 
but 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 is not concerned with at all the pleasures of the body there's those higher level stages it's not a suppression or anything like that the point here is that as one begins to evolve from within the body mind get definitely very very balanced but along with that there is a greater and greater uh, um, uh, um, development a dynamic flow in life that so that whatever the external external interaction may be one would decide what level of external in, interaction to have but one is in the one eventually opens up the oceanic consciousness from within you know so once you begin to open up the higher consciousness from within then automatically all everything else is is like is is very limited compared to that this is the basic idea. So it's a it's a transition. I mean, that's what the yoga is all about, right? I mean, it's it's connecting from the limited to the higher state of functioning, and then of course the transitions, all these different transitions that we're talking about, because because for, because for the general public, it'll be difficult for uh, for them to even understand, you know, what is meant by like the Brahman or the, the oceanic consciousness or the or the highly evolved infinite. These things are very abstract in the mind. But, but from where we are now, we want to become more active, more, more uh, uh, engaged in, in rebalancing the mind and the body. And then from that balance, there is a, is a flow that, that develops, like in flow psychology. There's a flow that develops towards one's passions. Whatever one passion meaning, I don't mean like just like, like you know, like uh, right, sick passion, passion, but passion meaning what you're deeply passionate about in life. So, you know, so, so that takes one towards that type of evolution. Now that doesn't have to be spirituality, it could be, but it can be other things also. You know, so it, uh, it could be music, it could be engineering, it could be your, uh, your profession, it could be family, it could be anything where that same power is, is flowing uh, uh, to to give the individual maximum happiness. This is the basic idea. So, I mean, the way I look at it, Sachin, is like you know we spoke about this a little earlier. So if so, if you're looking at you know people who are uh, slightly lethargic um, with everything available to them, that's yet lethargic, and someone who's got nothing available to him. And he seems to be in this, what people would consider to be in state of ignorant bliss, right? A lot of people say, oh, he's ignorantly blissful. He's not aware. I mean, so in, in my opinion, the main difference between the, these two people or these two uh, uh, um, uh, pockets of people is that there's one pocket of people who are, again, thinking way too much, right? There's just too much activity happening up here. And there's this other category of these Himalayan pe people, especially the Sherpas of men in Nepal. These are guys who leading a life that is so simple with not much, they're not even thinking about the next meal, I told you, right? These are guys who are they're the other end of the spectrum. Now for me to say that, you know, this guy who, the, the, the Sherpa, up, you know, at 20,000 feet above sea level, this beautiful snow-clad locale is healthy or the other guy who's you know living in this uh, you know in one of the top cities in the world with everything but still find himself very lethargic is healthy I, I, so I'm, I'm no one to judge right i'm just talking about different kinds of 
Lathaji that so so but one predominant difference between these two people right is that the similarities they're both kind of lethargic but the, the differences one of them is thinking not thinking much and one of them is thinking too much right so and of course both of them have their advantages and disadvantages so but we are not here to talk about that we're here to talk about balance how does one create balance we're not talking about either end of the spectrum we're not talking you know one thought a minute is ideal or you know 500 thoughts a minute is ideal so that's kind of either end of the spectrum and then there's people in between as well right so we're talking about balance um how, how do how does one create balance so um, especially using something like yoga right or yoga is the the traditional pronunciation is yoga how does one use yoga to create this balance right so again when one does practice yoga what one does is looks there are three areas that yoga creates balance in, right what are those three areas the first area is that of the mind so and when we talk about the mind we talk about the thoughts in you know the, the physical mind or and the nature of the physical mind how it can get out of its uh, you know uh, out of these obsessive cycles or overthinking and and, and things like that how, how does one work on that aspect that's number one so mind number two is is the body now if your body is not healthy you know and you've got aches and pains and you've got you know issues with the body again it's very very challenging to live a balanced life for those of us who have suffered physically you know i have i tore the tendon on my left knee the year before last uh in a mountain biking crash and i was immobilized for i don't know i think it was two and a half or three months huh and it was a really really challenging three three months for me just sitting down on a chair and and you know not practicing yoga or uh, not going out mountain biking or for a run or for a swim so on and so forth it was extremely challenging for me so for, for those of us who've got physical issues you know there could be one-off accidents or something more chronic in nature if you've got these issues again to live a balanced life is super challenging so the second aspect that yoga or yoga looks after or, or, or addresses is the physical aspect right and the third aspect that that yoga also uh, pays a lot of attention to in this practice when when you when you do this practice is the 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 non-physical part of your body which is the the energy that we talk about right so the non-physical energy of the body the mind and the physical body what the practice of yoga does and it's not just you know getting into the posture getting into a posture or aligning yourself or standing state with your shoulders back and it's going to sort you out no there's so much more to yoga right this it's a whole lifestyle so the whole lifestyle one in fact when one does read the yoga sutras right so this is 195 uh, uh, sutras put together by Maharishi Patanjali. If you look at the, the physical aspect of yoga, how many uh, how how many sutras are about? Them? I don't think there are even ten. So it's not even so it's not even five percent, or it's about only five percent of this entire yogic lifestyle is these postulations and these asanas that one does. You know, it's this, this the it's it's too. I mean, one does it to have a healthy body. To have the energy flow you know there's no no blockages of energy anywhere within the body 
And one also what it does is once you're able to hold a yogic position for a long time, you can ultimately sit down and achieve samadhi, or you can ultimately sit down for a prolonged period of time and meditate, right? For those of us who aren't familiar with the word samadhi, right? So, so that's what it enables you to do. So there are these three aspects without which if, if even one of these are off, then you don't have balance. Then you're imbalanced. You know, you, you could be, uh, you, you could have the, you could have an IQ of 200, right? <laughs> but if you've got like physical issues, there's always a shooting pain in your shoulder or you're, you, you've got arthritis or you've got like a lower back issue. You know, you find yourself agitated because of this physical, uh, uh, the, the, the challenge that you're facing. So it's important that these, all these three spheres in, in our lives, they are balanced. It's not just the body, it's, just not the, it's not just the mind, but also the energy and the energy flow within the body. There's all balance and yoga enables you to do that. And, and it's a you know, five, 10,000 year old way of life, which has been practiced. Um, and, and people have, have lived uh, successful, healthy lives. And by the word successful, that word successful is open to interpretation, by the way. You know, so <laughs> you can interpret it the way you want to interpret it. But there was, in fact, um, there, I watched this video of uh, Yogacharya Shivananda, who was given uh, recently uh, a, a presidential award in India. And he is a 125 years old. Just wrap your head around that. And when he received the reward, the, the award from the president, it's a gentleman who walked by himself straight back 125 years old he bowed down he postulated bowed down he stood up by himself and did the same with the prime minister again he was 125 years old no one was holding his hand he wasn't on one of those uh, electric wheelchairs or he didn't have a walker with him this is an, um, an example of someone who's embraced the yogic lifestyle and this is from last week by the way so this is from uh, you know third week of um, march 22 so, uh, so you should check it out, and, and um, so yeah, so that's what yoga, this this yogic lifestyle does enable people to do, is to tap into the this, this wealth of energy, and by wealth, I mean I don't mean like limited wealth, because when you say wealth, you can you can you can ask me, Nimish, how much do you have in your bank account? And I say I'm wealthy, and I have a thousand dollars, right? But that's limited wealth. I'm talking about wealth that is is unlimited so you you tap into this energy source which has unlimited wealth unlimited potential you can achieve what you want to achieve you can make your dream into a reality by embracing this this ancient or ad adopting this ancient yogic techniques right so 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 that's that's what's in store for you for those of you who are considering starting off like this this yogic journey um you know it's, it's important to have a carrot right and, and the carrot that I, I hang before you is a, a life that is is free of pain um so you don't have and my pain i just don't mean physical ailments right like chronic back pain or, uh, or your kidney stone hurts or, you know, whatever. So it's not those kinds, it's, it's also a life bereft of, of mental anguish, you know, which is the big one, by the way. It's, uh, it's, it's what's plaguing more people uh, today than with chronic ailments. So you can also rid yourself of that mental anguish by embarking upon this journey. 
Um, yeah, so that's what I'd like to share with you today. Okay, all right, very good. One final question for today, then, uh, then we'll stop. And great recording, by the way. So I'm gonna edit the whole thing, make a podcast out of it with your permission. You know, so very, very good. All, all of my questions and everything will be taken out of that. It'll just be your audio. Uh, and uh, and that, that's how we have made so many podcasts, you know, so we're going to build your profile this way. So the more recordings we can do like this kind, this is good. Plus, you already have other chants and other you know, the other, other things you're already doing, which is all fine. So we'll put it all together and, and, and we can link all of that stuff into, into AngelWing through the website links. But these, these kinds of question answer sessions are really great because that brings about uh, a good understanding eventually. It will it will be heard by many many people uh, in the future. We can also play the clip and 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 do different things with it. So here's my final question for today. So there is quite a bit of impact. Hold on, hold on one second. There's there's quite a bit of impact on the function of the brain itself, the brain, the mind, etc. You know, the brain and the mind are are connected. When you are, when a person is doing exercises of different kinds, they could be going to the gym, they could be stretching, they could be walking, they could be running, they could be on the treadmill, they could be doing weightlifting. There's all different types of exercises that have significant impact on the mind and the brain. How would you distinguish, or, or, or let's put it this way, what is the connection or the similarity and difference between these type of exercises and then the yogic type of asanas and movements and exercises? What is the link and the, what is the difference? Okay. So, uh, so if you can do me a favor, please repeat the question the way you understood it and then answer it. Okay, so, so what is the difference in the outcome of... Um, you know, let's say going to the gym or HIIT, going for a run or a swim or doing some rock climbing, etc., versus the outcome of practicing yoga, right? So it's, yeah. So you see the, the human body, it's a wonderful cocktail of a bunch of different chemicals, right? As we all know. Um, I, I don't remember the word for it, Sachin, but maybe you could remind me, uh, is, it, is it abiogenesis? Um, abiogenesis is, um, you know, when, when, when life happened uh, for the first time and it happened, it was a freak accident, right? Um, it was a whole bunch of different chemicals and they were cooked, <laughs> or cooked for lack of a better word, right? Cooked in, in the right temperature with the right uh, chemicals around it, right? Pressure, so on and so forth. And when they were cooked, the outcome of that of, of that cooking was life. So it's, it, it happened by chance uh, four billion years back on Earth, right? So I think that the, the scientists call it abiogenesis. So that's what I was referring to. So we are all clearly, I mean, all of, all, all of this, one way of looking at it, one way of looking at it is it was, there's one way that it was destined to happen. And the scientific perspective of looking at it, of, of us, is we are a freak accident. <laughs> and this freak accident is a combination of like a, of, of tons of different chemicals, right? Now, some chemicals make us feel a certain way because, for example, if you've got an engine running, right, and you put a certain chemical into it, right, which is 
let's say very uh, highly combustible, the performance of that engine improves. I, I have just made a mental note to self, stop making so many automotive <laughs> examples, by the way. I've seen all my examples are about cars today. Right, so, um, so, so when you add that, that highly uh, combustible fuel, the engine really kicks into overdrive. Similarly, like in the human body, when we do certain things, um, it could be like going to the gym, again, it, it, there's a certain trigger, I mean, we're looking physiological trigger in the body, boom, there's something that happens and a certain chemical is released in the body. When that certain chemicals release in the body, it makes us feel a certain way, right? Often when people do things like um, going to the gymnasium and lifting heavy weights or, or you know, doing something extreme, the chemicals that, that are released in the body, they make us feel, um, well, alive you know uh, of course we're alive but they make us feel alive they give us a sense they give us a sense of of thrill right um so so that's when we're doing stuff that's like really really um you know it, it's 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 fast-paced it's, it's a adventurous thrill so these chemicals that are released they make you feel that way now of course you know so there's this chemical reaction that takes place in the body. It makes you feel a certain way. And after a certain time, it also, you know, it's, it's all up and down in life, right? So it's, it's, there's this peak, which makes you feel incredibly good. And then after some time, this peak, when this chemical goes, there's a desire for them because you kind of, when you keep going to the gym, keep, you're a thrill seeker, you keep wearing that, you know, the, that suit and jumping off a cliff or, or jumping off aircraft using parachutes or going surfing in the sea or climbing mountains, right? So that thrill seeking, the chemical that gets kicked in, when it's not there, life seems a little meh. Uh, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, it seems a little boring. Um, it seems a little dull um, at, at times. But what? Now, now that's a certain type of exercise, right? Now, let's take... Now, now, now let's compare that to what, what happens to the body when one, when one practices yoga, right? So what, one, when one practices yoga, it's not just the, the practice. Well, I mean, I'm talking only about the physical aspect of yoga because I think it's only fair to make a, an apple-to-apple -apple comparison here, although this is not an apple-to-apple -apple comparison. But, you know, we're talking about physical exercise. Let's look at the physical aspect of yoga, not any of the other aspects of yoga. So when one practices yoga, right? The practice of yoga in itself, and there are some asanas, there are some positions that one gets into, just give me a second, sorry, which one gets into, um, and it becomes, and it's pretty extreme, it's it's almost as extreme as going to the gym, or in some cases, and, and the Surya Namaskar is a set of 12 different asanas, which for those of us who've practiced it for 10 or 15 minutes, you know, it's it's your heart rate's right up there. You're doing 180, 190 BPM. Your, your breath's out of control. You're sweating bullets. You know, it's, you can compare it to any other gym or any other sort of exercise, right? But the difference here is when you're practicing any sort of yogic asana, your attention not is not just on the muscles in your body, but it is also on your breath. It is also on your alignment. It's also on the balance. It's also on your thoughts. 
you know, there's a lot more happening when you're when you're practicing yoga in the right environment with the right guidance. So a lot of different things happening. So there's a lot of different elements vis-a-vis -vis just a, a workout in a gym. Not to disrespect or disregard the workout in a gym because when you're when you're sort of uh, benching uh, big weight, you need to know how you how you, how you need to breathe. But not necessarily many of us practice. Um, you know, a, a, a higher sense of awareness about our thoughts, for example, right? Right. So, but when you're practicing yoga, that's what happens. So when you're super aware of, of the thoughts, of the alignment, of the balance, of uh, of the breath, etc., when you're practicing yoga asanas, what happens is now, when, I give you an example where these there's a spike of these chemicals in the body when you do something super extreme, right? That spike, there is, there is a noted increment in the chemicals in the body that make you feel good but that noted increment is not quite as large or as high as a spike that you experience while doing something thrill-seeking where that the level of awareness is it's, it's not the same as yoga right and, and this is you know this this is something that's debatable someone who's, who could go to the gym could say hey man Nimish you know when I'm in the gym and I'm benching those 200 pounds buddy that's, I, I practice like mindful breathing and I, so okay, hats off to you, right? You do it. But a lot of people going to the gym don't do it. A lot of people, I would go to the extent of saying a majority of the people don't do it. But in a yogic environment where you're learning the, the, the physical, it's, and it's not just the physical aspects of yoga, it's such a new, attended one or two of my yoga classes, you, you know that it's much more than just the body. When it's much more than just the body, then these highs and lows, which come from these, you know, from the thrill seekers, it's 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 almost negligible compared to that. When it's negligible compared to that, when the highs are not so high and the lows are not so low, automatically when you look at this graph, it's almost like a straight line. Or one might even look use choose to use the word balance here because it's kind of more balanced, right? It's not like those great highs and those deep lows, etc. You're in that environment where, because of that higher sense of awareness, you are actually quite uh, you're, you're 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 reaping like a lot of benefits on different levels, different different levels, you know. Um, but yeah, going to the gym has its own advantages if you want to buff up like in six months. Difficult to do that with yoga. So you can do that with the gym. So, you know, each of these have their distinct advantages. But we were talking about what, how it makes you feel, what the chemical composition was, right? So I'm trying to shed some light only on that aspect, right? Because um, as a matter of fact, I also really like going to the gym. I'm a yoga teacher, but I enjoy going to the gym because I think that, uh, uh, you know, the gym it helps me do different things with with my body, which which is which is good for the body. I also like doing cardiovascular workouts, so I like going for a hundred hundred mile bike ride every now and then. You know, so I so yeah. So but but I and because I've experienced all these things, I go to the gym. I I do a lot of serious cardiovascular training, um, and I also do a lot of yoga. I can just speak purely from my experience. The Zen that I feel after after a session of yoga is 
It's, you know, and the days I feel the zen after the gym as well, by the way, right? When I've somehow just got the perfect combination of exercises and cardio and, and cool down, etc. I feel that. But yoga makes me feel that almost every single day. After every single practice session, I feel like I feel really, really balanced and I feel really, really calm and, and relaxed. And, and when I feel calm and relaxed, you know, the biggest benefit of, of that state of being for me is that I can look at life very, very clearly, objectively, and it helps with, uh, with my decision making, right, uh, in, in my day to day life. And for those of us who want to who think that decision making is a, is a handy skill to have, <laughs> you know, um, this, this yogic lifestyle, the practice of yoga is, is, is something that it, like the gym can give you that really ripped body in six months, which maybe yoga cannot. But in six months, if decision-making is something important to you, if you want peace of mind, that's important to you. This, the, the yogic lifestyle can enable you to do that because the, the spike in the chemicals, the chemical composition of the body, it changes just is nominally versus, you know, you have a sedentary lifestyle and you boom, hit the gym, do HIIT for, for 45 minutes. It's just, you know, this is up and down, this is natural, right? Whatever goes up must come down. 